a lot of you who know us know how much I depend on Miriam. Um, that I'm sure a lot of you probably wouldn't say it out loud to me. Some of you do, actually. But you don't think I could take care of myself <laughs> uh, if it wasn't for uh, Miriam. And I'm not going to correct you, actually. <laughs> There's uh, a lot of things that I depend on uh, Miriam in this coming May. I think we'll be celebrating 12 years of marriage together. Uh, and we've been working together at home, raising kiddos. Uh, we've been in ministry for most of that time together. Uh, and I've always been blessed with a wife, thankfully, who enjoys being a pastor's wife. Uh, I know that across the board, that's not always the easiest thing because a lot of expectations come with a pastor's wife. Um, and I'm really thankful that God has blessed me with a partner in Miriam who I think fits the bill and enjoys being that. Um, and so thankfully, Miriam has been good at that. I think Miriam's gift, sorry, this isn't, I'm not in trouble, I promise you, <laughs> at home, that I'm just buttering Miriam up. No, Miriam's gift and talents is, uh, talents actually perfectly, sort of, are perfectly suited to fill in the gaps in my own. Uh, as much as I've always wanted to be in ministry uh, and, and wanted to serve the Lord in a vocational ministry capacity, Miriam has always been this complementary peace to that ministry. The places that I am impatient, Miriam is more than patient. Uh, the places that uh, I'm just unwieldy, Miriam is graceful. Um, and she's just really talented, really creative. Okay. Um, so, but I wanted to tell this story actually about before we were married. So uh, come 12 years ago now, um, I wanted to tell this story when we actually together worked at Pine Haven Christian Assembly for uh, a summer. It's a Christian camp, and we worked there all summer long. Uh, and during the summer, though, there was this time uh, where I had lost my keys, my house keys, car keys, some important keys, you know, those keys, right, that everybody had. I lost mine for about three weeks at camp. And I don't know if you're like me who gets stressed out about not knowing where your keys are, um, where you're at home, sometimes, you know, I'll just go in a mood and just like tear things up if I can't find something that's important to me. And so at camp, you know, there's so many different places to look. And so for three weeks, I was just super stressed. Um, now, thankfully, we didn't need my keys a lot because we we're working there. I didn't need to move my car. I wasn't going, going home that often. Um, but I was really stressed and I was just going kind of crazy, tearing everything up, looking for uh, my keys there. Now, you might think that because of the context, the way that I started this message, right, that Miriam, being this angel, would have found it and would have just been this grace. But actually, it's the opposite. It turns out that the keys that had been missing were in Miriam's backpack for three weeks. And here I'm just going nuts, ripping my, like, where could it possibly be tearing things apart? And Miriam knew where they were. Well, she didn't know, I'm sorry, she didn't know where they were. She wasn't just tormenting me. <laughs> Though I. This, the seldom times I hear Miriam laugh out loud, it's typically at my expense. But Miriam was one day looking through things and she, she found the keys. And it's just kind of this funny story that sticks out of my head because 99% of the time, Miriam is super dependable. Uh, is always there for me and is gracious with her time and talents. She's always there to help me. But in this one moment, for three weeks, I'm just going bald, you know, going crazy, looking for uh, my keys. And it was Miriam who had them the whole time. And I think that's just a small example uh, of this truth. Uh, that we, as humans, we tend to find our security, our comfort, 
in things that are tangible. I would like to just depend on Miriam 100% of the time. Uh, because most of the part, she is. She is dependable. But not every time. And us humans, we like to hang on to things that are near us. Things that we can see. Things that we can feel. That spouse. We like to find comfort or security in our family. We like to find comfort and security in our job. Maybe in our possessions. Maybe we find comfort and security in that bank account, in the, in, the, in the roof that's over our heads. That's a very human problem, actually. And it's an understandable tendency, really. I think it's a very understandable tendency. In our day-to-day -day living, those things are pretty all right, actually. For the most part, those things can be dependable. But I know that, unbelievably, those things can disappear quickly. Sure, we work. Sure, there's a roof over our heads. But those things can disappear. We could lose our jobs suddenly. Or maybe our career path that we were on is not what we thought it was going to be. Truth is, I've experienced that personally. I've experienced it myself, and I've seen other people here experience that. Or maybe your health isn't as good as we thought. And we get diagnosed with some serious health issues. I personally, I have experienced that. Also, I know that there are some in our congregation who've experienced some serious health issues. Are we able to truly, really, 100% of the time, have security in the bank account? Are we able to really have 100% security and comfort in our spouses and their ability to know what to do and to be there for you the whole time? I'd like to say yes, and I've seen some really good marriages. I've seen good spouses, but I've also seen some situations arise that are too difficult for even the most dedicated marriages to surmount. I have seen that, personally. I'm not making up. These aren't hypotheticals that I'm making up. These are stories that I know of, meaning that they can really happen, not creating these. I'm not trying to scare I'm not trying to shock, but I'm trying to point out a problem that we short-sighted humans have. We cannot, oh, I missed, did I miss it? Here we go. We cannot find our comfort or security in this world. We want to hang on to the tangible. We want to be able to know that we are safe and secure. And even then, there's enough distractions in our life. There's enough Netflix and Disney Plus to go around that maybe we can be focused on this in front of us and not think about the kind of scary facts that things can change faster than we want them to in this world. Growing stress and anxiety in many ways, and for a lot of people, can be crippling. Uncertainty gives way to fear and worry. And for some, it freezes them in place. And this is a problem that Paul addresses in just a few words. Again, our core text that we began to look at last week, Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 7. It's just this really practical verse that, again, if it's not committed to memory yet, please, please do so. Because this is one that God speaks to me often, that pops up in my brain, because I have anxiety in my life or stress or things that I worry about. So Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Last week, we began this deep dive into these two verses. This book, Philippians, is written by the Apostle Paul, uh, who we've been studying a bit about in our Acts series. Now, this book is written roughly 10 to 12 years after the development of the church in Philippi. That's what most scholars will agree on. It's been about 10 or 12 years since Paul has been with them. And so he pens this letter to the church in Philippi. It's likely that Paul is actually imprisoned. He's actually in his second imprisonment in Rome. Meaning he's actually on death row. Because it'll be a short amount of time before his martyrdom. Before he's executed by the government in Rome. This context to me anyway, adds such a rich layer to this popular passage. Again, a death row inmate. He's giving commands to others, us included, to be thankful, to turn to God, and to receive the peace of Christ. Now, one might think that a man facing death might actually not be in that great a standing with God. A man facing death, he might actually be grumpy at God, right? In fact, who knows, maybe, because Paul has time and time again actually skirted death in his missionary journeys. We've seen in our Acts series, Peter, right, just escape from jail in the past. And so, as a man, you could be wondering, why isn't Paul just kind of grumpy and saying, God, where are you? What's going on? Why am I still here? Why am I trapped in this prison? He could be grumpy. But for some reason... He isn't. Instead, Paul is not bitter. He writes a letter to others about glorifying God and how we should be united and live in peace because of him. He's ever still the cheerleader for God, even in the most desperate, scary place. Paul teaches in this passage that when we should pray, when we consider going to God, giving him our petition and request, he teaches us on when we should pray. He says here, do not be anxious about anything. He says in every situation, in everything, don't be anxious about anything, and in every situation is when we're supposed to be praying. We're supposed to be going to him apparently all the time. The part, this part of the command it says so much in anything, in everything, in every situation, go to God. Now, this might fly in the face of that very human tendency to find security and comfort in what's around us. The bank account, the family. Instead, Paul says, go to God. Go to God. Now, I'm not a guy who breaks a leg and just says, well, I'm just going to go to God about it. I'll go to the hospital. Or I'm not a guy who hears a prayer request and says uh, that, that someone's in need. And I'll say, I'll, I'll pray for you. I, I hope that God takes care of your need. Uh, no, I'll, I'll pull out my wallet and I'll be a prayer. I can an be an answer to prayer if I can be. So I'm not someone you know, who just says, oh, God will fix it somehow. But I do believe that Paul's command here is stating that the first thing, the priority, the first thing that we go to is to God first. Go to Him in anything and in every situation. 
See, hospitals, money, the comfort and security that we find in tangible things in this world, that's not always going to be around. Again, look at our author. Take Paul into consideration. He, at this moment, has been stripped of everything. All he has in his possession is some ink and parchment. That's all this guy has. God and the peace that he provides is the only thing that cannot be taken away from Paul. You get that? Nothing, this thing, this peace, his God cannot be stripped away from him. Everything else has been but this. You cannot take God from Paul. The ability to go to God is a privilege and a lifeline to the Christian. It is a privilege and a lifeline. Nothing besides the permanence of this truth can soothe the anxiety, the constant change, and the unpredictability of this world. Nothing but the permanence of God. Jesus, actually, on the Sermon on the Mount, himself will speak to the value of that permanence. And in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, when Jesus is speaking about salvation uh, and life, and how not all people will find salvation and find their way to God in the end, he says that it's uh, difficult. Many will say to the Lord uh, that we prophesied in your name. And Jesus says, but he might not have lived the life. He didn't accept who I was, and I won't know who you are in that time. And Jesus gives us verse 24 of chapter 7, where he's talking about this permanence, talking about how we can find security and comfort only in God. Therefore, he speaks on salvation and life. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, these are the last words of the Sermon on the Mount, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. This permanent unmoving, unchanging quality of God. He is, he has always been, and is always going to be this permanent alpha and omega rock, unmoving and unchanging. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock, on the permanent rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, and does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand, the changing, the unpredictability, right, of sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The rain and the wind in this passage represents the weariness of this world. The insecurity, the changing. You know, Miriam and I were talking about this uh, earlier this afternoon. I love how in this passage, it does not, Jesus does not say that because he's a follower, there won't be storms. Right? He, does, he doesn't say, if you're a follower, there won't be wind, there won't be waves, they won't storm against the house. He doesn't say that. He says, however, that by listening to God, listening to Jesus himself, putting his words into practice, will be like building upon a firm foundation that can withstand the storms. The rain and the wind, they represent the weariness of this world, the ever-changing circumstances of life, which will certainly come. 
to listen to his words and put them into practice, to go to God is like investing in a firm foundation, one that can weather the storm. And again, in Paul's, in Paul's sake, it can weather even death row, even the scariness, the impending doom of life ending soon. Now, what does God going, going to God in everything look like? I'm sure here we get it. All right, Reggie, fine. We're going to go to God. But what does that look like? What does that mean on a day-to-day -day basis? You know, earlier this week, uh, I was getting breakfast ready for Carter and Lucy before school. And it's nothing fancy. We just pour them a bowl of cereal. And I poured out a, a bowl of cereal, Cap'n Crunch Christmas. So the berries, apparently, they're shaped like trees, I guess. Uh, I pour it out, and it's the last bowl. Carter had picked this cereal out, and so rather than splitting it, where they both don't have enough, I just said, well, this is Carter. He chose it. Let's give him the entire bowl. And later, I find that Lucy was upset because she didn't get a bowl of this Cap'n Crunch Christmas. Instead, I gave her a bowl of some unicorn cereal, literally unicorn cereal, that she had picked herself earlier. But because she wanted the Christmas one, she was in her room crying, upset. And here, I, I sitting in her doorway, seeing her kind of melting down before school, and I tell her, seriously? A little uncompassionate, I guess. <laughs> I say, seriously? Cabin Crunch Christmas, that, we're going to cry about that? That little thing? I, I, is that worth it, Lucy? I didn't try and soothe her ego. I, did, I didn't say anything. All I said was, this is not big enough. This is not worthy enough of crying over. So I need you to change your attitude. I need you to go brush your teeth. I need you to get ready to school. And we're not going to cry about this anymore. Now, typically, I'm pretty soft with Lucy. But this, I just thought, was so small, so irrelevant to cry over Cap'n Crunch Christmas cereal. Now, tuck that away. Later, another story, uh, I'm driving up towards Andover uh, on Highway 35 when it goes west on 10 there. And of course, just before, someone cuts me off, right? I always share these stories. Someone cuts me off right at the very, very, very end. I got to slam on my brakes and kind of swerve around because it was just such an egregious uh, cutoff. At least it was to me. And I get really, really upset and angry. In 30 seconds, I'm just, oh, this dummy. I, I want to swerve around. I want to get a look at this person. I want to flash my lights. I want to honk my horn. I don't do any of those things. I've come to know a little bit better. Uh, but it does. It ruins my day for a bit, right? And because I was preparing for this message, I knew, you know what? I'm not supposed to be anxious about anything. I'm not supposed to be upset or stressed out. I am going to pray about this thing. Normally, I think this is too small. But hey, let me just, fine. God, I, I want to go to you. Um, because this is kind of wrecking my, my attitude, wrecking my, mo uh, wrecking my attitude for the moment. Lord, I don't want to be anxious. Please change in my heart in something. And then all of a sudden, God, he whips my mind back towards the hallway, standing outside of Lucy's room, giving the speech about, really? Cap'n Crunch? Cereal? Christmas cereal? That's what you're going to be upset about? except for our roles had reversed in my mind. All of a sudden, I'm sitting on the bed, and God is sitting in the hallway. Really, Reg? Again? The whole cutoff thing? You complain about that every day. It happens every time you're driving. It's never going to go away. And you're going to let that, that little thing, that small thing? And then all of a sudden, I'm in my car laughing to myself. 
because I understand, oh, I just got schooled by God again. <laughs> I just felt like such a dummy once more because I actually went to God and God, he made it really clear how immature it is of me to constantly be upset over this small thing. Now, granted, even though I share that story, probably next week I'll share it again. <laughs> because someone will cut me off in the following week, and it's just something I have to grow into. But I thought it was so neat how it worked. I ended up laughing to myself, going to God in this small little thing. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I just think, that's so small to go to God to, right? It's such a small thing to just change my attitude. I wish I, my attitude would just be di just different, that I'd get over it by now. But instead, I brought it to God in this anxious moment, going to him before just being upset and taking comfort and security in my ability to just rage and be angry. Instead, I went to God and he gave me a little bit of peace. He helped me understand. And I think that's what it looks like to go to God on a day-to-day -day basis. Nothing is too small. The idea of going to God for everything actually is not unique to the letter of Philippians in Romans chapter 1, verse 9 through 10. There, Paul is going to write about his constant prayers. He's constantly praying in Romans chapter 1, verse 9 through 10. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 28, Paul writes that we should be praying in the Spirit on all occasions. All right, in Romans, again, or in Ephesians, all occasions we should be praying about. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul apparently is praying night and day. Do you see this pattern? Do you see how Paul's kind of approaching prayer, approaching going to God? It's not just it, it's not just sometimes, it's not every now and then, but apparently it is constant. It is night and day. It is every occasion that he has opportunity, Paul is praying, going to God. This is a universal instruction by Paul. Because he's writing it in several different letters to different churches spanning over a decade's worth of time in their creation. Some of these letters are written as early as 50. And Paul is writing Philippians past 60. Over a decade's worth of time, he is exhibiting this exercise of constant on every occasion, night and day, prayer. And he's giving us the same command, go to God. And so our takeaway, I think, from these simple words in everything is this. Pray for the big things. I think you and I know that. When it comes to the job that we're not sure, if it comes to the house that we might want to buy, when it comes to growing our family, when it comes to how we spend large amounts of money in our home, yeah, Pray for big things. We get that. But I'm saying, and maybe this is just a personal issue, but I think you need to know that you also need to pray for the small things. Pray for the small things also. They come up all the time. They come up on every occasion. They come up day and night. Pray even for the small things. God actually cares about that. You know, I, it's, it's not like, I know that I have a hesitancy to go to God in small things because it's like I don't want to bother him. <laughs> or or I, I'm, I'm too disappointed in myself to think I should be able to overcome that on my own. That's not the case. You can go to God and he will bless you with the Holy Spirit that brings this peace that transcends understanding, which we'll get to next week. But God is there in the big things, definitely. But he's there even in the small things. You're not bothering him.
And so when we look at the pattern of Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 7 here, the command is this. Be thankful. That was last week, right? Be thankful. Even before you offer the prayer and the petition. Be thankful. Expect an answer. He will bless you with an answer, whether you think so or not. Uh, we'll probably get to that passage next week where uh, we talk about waiting on God's timing uh, and how he's actually being patient with you if you're not receiving the answer that you think you deserve. Expect an answer. Expect revelation. And expect blessing. If you go to God, you can expect those things to happen. I'm not asking you to lift a prayer up just for the sake of lifting some prayer up. Expect blessing. Expect revelation. Expect an answer from God. The better that you get at this discipline of going to God in the big things and even the small things, the easier it's going to get. Uh, this last, I think two weeks ago, Matt Anderson made me sign up for a gym that I didn't really want to <laughs> do. I signed up too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, that's right. Matt did, yes. He, he uh, was sort of an inspiration to me, him and Tony. Uh, and I'm like, all right, I guess I better do it. And so him and I went uh, two weeks ago, and we had a session with a trainer who just floored us. I was walking around like this for, <laughs> for the next two days because I was so sore. And so in my mind, I'm like, all right, I'm done with that. Uh, no more of that. I feel awful. I don't look too much better. So, hold on. <laughs> you know, that's the attitude I wanted to have. But obviously we know that that's not how discipline works, right? That the effects of physical or even spiritual development are compounding. At the beginning, you're going to have to force yourself to do it. And you might not see the little changes. But as you commit yourself, as you remain disciplined, as you continue to go to God in the big things, and even in the small things, you're going to begin to see that transformation. You're going to continue to see how you are blessed with a peace that transcends and inner, uh, 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 rejects the anxiety and the stress that the world brings. So stay on it. I'm just going to try and... and Hold you accountable to praying for the big things, even the small things. Going to God, uh, because in reality, he's the only one that can truly do anything about what's going on in this world. Because I can't rely even on Miriam. I can't rely on my, 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 fr my closest friends, my closest family. Because I know in time, they will fail. And that, like Paul, we have to cling on to the one truly permanent, secure, unchanging thing. And that is a God who has blessed us with the love of his son and proved it by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's whom we hang all of our hope, all of our comfort, and all of our security in. Please bow with me. Dear Father, I'm so thankful that we have this scripture to turn to to sort of lead us through the anxiety, the difficulties, the insecurities of this life. Uh, Lord, I, I see your wisdom that uh, by placing our hope in you, it does not mean that the world's not going to have its way with us. We know, Lord, that there's still going to be storms. Uh, we still know that there's going to be loss. There's going to be difficulty. But I am thankful, Lord, that we can be inspired by Paul's words that we can have comfort and security in realizing that you are permanently there.
that you are the only thing in this world that goes unchanging. And so, Father, when the anxieties, difficulties, and stresses of this life come, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would guide us to hanging our hope in that, in your security, in your name alone. Please, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us and continue to push out any of the lies that we think we can take care of ourselves. Instead, Father, please help us to rely wholly and solely on your name, on your son Jesus, his transforming blood, uh, and, and the salvation that he holds before us as a gift to take. Thank you, God. I pray these things in your holy son's name. Amen.